Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Tech Talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, all my fellow higher primates, and congratulations on your excellent selection of entertainment for the next 40 minutes. You landed squarely at the starting line of another pristine episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. And here he is, our go-to on all things new and different, it's Matthew Dickerson. What's been distracting you this week? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned starting line, James, because I went down to the Formula One just a week or so ago, and some of it sounds cool. It very, I can still hear the noise of it ringing yeah, in my ears. Right. <laughs> but it's interesting. Some people think that I wouldn't like Formula One because I am a bit of a fan of EVs, and you've got Formula E, which has got obviously EV cars that are racing in that. But Formula One, one thing I do like about Formula One, yes, it's still using petrol engines. But it's all about the technology. It's all about what technology can they introduce just to give them that little tiny bit of an advantage. And we yeah, look, there's Formula One and there's NASA when, when we're talking about cutting-edge technology, isn't there? Absolutely right. Formula One is almost at that level of NASA because all those teams, you're talking about big dollars here, and they're trying to gain an advantage that we're talking about thousandth of a second on a lap. If you can get a few thousandth of a second over another driver, another team, that's a big difference there, obviously. Mm. And there's a group of Morris cars, good old Morris cars. They haven't been made in Australia for almost 50 years. And there's a group of those that are in our city at the moment. And I went down and had a look at some of those old Morris cars, some beautiful old classic cars. I didn't realise I made some cars that used to compete with Rolls-Royce. I'm not sure if they came to Australia, but I looked at some of these models there, and they were beautiful, long bonnets on them and very regal inside. Uh, the old ones that looked a bit like a Volkswagen, that sort yeah. of shape. I remember those. We had one of those when I was a kid. And I did yeah, make the right. joke to them that I said I used to be allowed to drive it up and down the driveway. I wasn't old enough to drive on the roads. But even doing the pathetic speeds that I used to do up and down there, I used to have to start pumping the brakes. <laughs> and I said to some of the owners there, that's still the same. And they all nodded and said, yep, yep, you've got to be able to drive very slowly in a Morris of that particular vintage because you need to pump the brakes. But <laughs> there's a perfect example. They were the old drum brakes. They would heat up and expand. So mm. you had to keep pumping them to try and get those drums to go out a little bit further and hold onto the drums or the pads to go out a bit further. And I'm not saying that Formula One has suddenly invented disc brakes, but all those things that we see in modern cars, some of those things have come from Formula One. Yeah, that's so right. That, yeah, that uh, real development. So that's what I'm fascinated with Formula One, watching how teams are just trying to gain those slight advantages. All the aerodynamics, they're talking about just a minor change to a wing here and there. And then who knows, in some model of car that comes out in five or ten years' time, some of those learnings from aerodynamics, or whatever it might be, mm. I'm sure we see in cars out on the road. So I do find it fascinating from that point of view. It is fun to go and watch, and yes, it is loud, but you put your earplugs in and then don't talk to the person beside you, but it's, it's all good fun from that perspective. Yeah, it's got such an atmosphere down there as well, just soaking and I think, up. I think that's it. Just walking around in the paddock, just some of the different driving simulators you can look at and play with, and again, that sort of technology. A lot of these Formula One drivers now spend more time in the simulator than they do in the real car because yeah, it's right. a lot cheaper in the simulator than a real car. The same as pilots now spend a lot of time in simulators. So all of that technology, fascinating. It's great to be there, great to be part of the, as you say, that whole paddock, the whole spectacle of it. And you get to see a couple of cars go past at 300 k's an hour as well. I just have to watch very quickly. <laughs> very, very cool. And as I peruse through the good news ahead of us today, I can see that the fast and easy pay options at the checkout are set to get even faster and easier still. Won't be long before you'll be doing the checkout at Coles at a slow jog. In San Francisco, the boys in blue got a bit of a surprise courtesy of the 21st century technology and cheaper e-bikes are on the way. You um, 
even have even fewer uh, reasons to not, not get one. <laughs> Easy for me to say. Even fewer reasons to not get an e-bike these days. But let's kick off with a story for people experiencing a bit of rat fatigue. As COVID infections continue to tear through the Australian population, it's worth acknowledging the new normal and sending our gratitude to everyone who's ensured that they're up to date with their jabs and everyone who's been diligent with their testing and responsible with their isolation. It's all about doing our part with the best that medical technology can do in the current situation. And we're all very, very used to the brain scrape, PCR test or alternative re- alternatively the the rats that we use as well at home. It may not be the worst thing that you'll do in a day, but given a choice, I know that a lot of people would prefer not to just because of the sheer discomfort of scraping the the top of your olfactories there. Well, Matt, you've got some good news for those people. COVID testing may become even easier now, and all you need is your phone. A phone and a simple cough. Now, we joke about it. When you hear someone cough, the first thing you say now Everyone is, oh, goes, oh looks like you're COVID, <laughs> that you better matches. go and get tested. That's right. <laughs> but that simple cough may actually be enough for your phone and an app that's being developed to actually detect whether you've got COVID or not. Wow. Sounds fascinating, doesn't it? Now, you might think, sure, this is some little app that some couple of people just put together and they're trying to flog it off out there. But this has been in research since about 2014. And we go, well, hold on. We didn't have COVID around in 2014, but Mm. obviously researchers thought, well, we'd be working on something, maybe we can detect various diseases through cough. So they'd been working on it, and then it was almost like they were excited, and I'm sure they weren't, but they were excited about the fact that COVID came along, and then they could really use this technology they've been working on. So they've still been working on it. That's really interesting that you say that it's an older technology. I remember as a young kid, I used to get bronchitis quite a bit, um, uh, and not so much as an adult, but I know that the sound of the cough when I had bronchitis, it was very different to, say, a fluey cough, yeah. And that's exactly what they were working on. They were working on different cough sounds, what that might be able to identify. Again, they had no idea that COVID-19 was going to come along five years after they started. It was actually, they had money for, was funded, this whole research initially was funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and they've done some wonderful things, or Bill Gates in particular. I'd almost say he's, he's rid the world of polio. Not quite yet, but an incredible. He has so, mm. saved millions of lives. So yeah. some of the research that he puts forward in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has been used all around the world. Some things are successful, some things aren't. This particular research was done by the University of Queensland, and so they came up with this concept called ResApp. So again, take that cough, listen to that cough. Once COVID came along, they thought, we've really got a usage for this now. So they did a whole bunch of testing and obviously a large sample space. Mm. And what they found was that they could get about a 92% hit rate, which is probably just about the same, maybe a little bit better than a rat. Mm. So when you take that 92%, that would give you 92% of people that had COVID, they would say, yes, you've got COVID. So in other words, if you coughed and it said you've got COVID, go and get another test. Probably a PCR would yeah, be yeah. more accurate. If it said you didn't have it, there was close to 100% accuracy that you didn't have COVID. So if you're a bit worried, had a bit of a wow. cough, let's cough into my phone. Oh, no, it's okay. You can go on. It's just a normal cough or it might be a common old cold, which we kind of don't think about much these days. So we think, well, I wonder if they're going okay with it. I wonder if it's really going to be developed any further. Good old Pfizer, huge pharmaceutical company. They thought this was a good enough idea that they paid $100 million for this particular company. So they basically bought all the shares in this company and essentially this company had 
this particular app as its only thing. There might have been some other side benefits or some other patents there as well. But essentially, they paid $100 million for this app. Now, once someone like Pfizer gets it, and Pfizer shareholders probably don't like throwing $100 million away every day, mm. so they're going to develop this. And I imagine there'll be some process where you'll either pay or you'll have it free, but then there might be some way of using Pfizer products somewhere along the line there. But again, they see enough money in it to, to fork out $100 million. You know, as soon as you mentioned the company name, I just thought, oh, the conspiracy theorists are going <laughs> to go crazy on this. <sighs> so, so let me just guess. So now Pfizer introduced... COVID-19, so they could develop an app they paid $100 million for. And they'll charge you for the app, of course. Oh, it all makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. You've hit the nail on there, James. You've got it all in one. (laughs) But it's interesting. I mean, I think this will be absolutely fascinating. And just imagine that convenience. Bit of a cough, cough into your phone. If it can detect COVID-19 now, well, what else can they detect? In other words, exactly Mm. as you said, bronchitis or a whole range of other things that might be cough-related, they might be able to be identified with reasonable accuracy out of an app. Mm. Sounds fascinating. Not so good if you've just got the sore throat and uh, the fever, though. Um, Well, maybe that's okay if you've got any sort of cough with it. At least you can be feeling calm that I haven't got COVID-19, I've got a sore throat and a fever and a bit of a dry cough or whatever it might be. Maybe you've got some cough that's been because you've been out at the pub too late last night and there were too many people smoking out (laughs) at the pub. Maybe they'll just tell you, stay away from those smokers, who knows. But it sounds like fascinating technology. Yeah, absolutely it does. It took me a a while to get comfortable with the concept of PayWave all those years ago. I just didn't trust it. I used to insist on shoving my card in the machine and punching in the pin as a sort of futile protest. Then I just got over myself and the whole tap and go became just so quick and easy. Now, because of your bad influence, Matt, it's all on my phone and now my wallet is somewhere in my bedside table or my roll-top desk or somewhere, I don't know. I feel very proud. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's all on my phone. And so now here I am thinking that I'm right up there, moving with the times. But Matt, I'm still kidding myself, aren't I? Oh, you're so yesterday, James. Where's that chip that you had inserted? Now, let me just say at the beginning, this is not about a vaccine being plugged into your arm, including a chip. This is this whole story is about people. This is a different way chips. of t- tracking you through every <laughs> that's, that's movement right. of your life. Yeah? <laughs> well, it goes way back, twenty fourth of August, nineteen ninety eight. Oh Kevin, wow, Kevin Warwick. He was a British professor of cybernetics, and he had a chip inserted in his hand just to demonstrate the technology so he could walk around, he'd set up his office in such a way that he could use RFID, the chip that was in his hand was an RFID chip, and that could wave in front of different devices in the office that he'd set up to demonstrate all of this. So he'd walk up to a door, he'd wave it in front of the door, it'd open the door. He'd walk up to a garage or walk up to anything that was locked, wave it in front of it, and that was it. It would open up, unlock, turn lights on, anything that you could do with RFID. So that's fantastic. Now we've got RFID, exactly as you said, in, for example, our credit cards now. Mm. That's the whole pay wave concept. And the great thing about RFID is it it doesn't need a power source in the chip. Mm. So when you've got your credit card, there's no battery inside the credit card. There's not a hidden little tiny battery. It'll be a very, very small battery in the thickness of a credit card. There's no battery there. It actually gets its power from the electromagnetic waves of the reader. So when the reader, when you put your card near a reader, for example, it's got electromagnetic energy in that. It's putting out that energy all the time. Put your card near it. That's enough power for the actual chip in there to send out the data very short distance. Obviously, when you tap, you've got to tap Yeah, you've got to tap it close. On it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like you tap it from five metres away. So there's enough power in that to do it. 
and they're the sort of chips that are now commercially available that you can buy. And there are some, there are tens of thousands of people across the world, but in some countries, and Sweden's one in particular, where there are a lot of people having chips inserted in their hands now. So yeah, Kevin wow. Warwick, we thought about can, chipping the kids when they were really young. So <laughs> when we took them to the show or other places where there were big crowds and stuff, we no worries, we can lose the kids. We'll find them again. Eventually. That's right. As long as someone had some sort of read, a bit like <laughs> microchipping your yeah, cats and dogs. That's yeah. exactly right. Okay, kids, come in here. We'll just read you. All right, you're James Eddie's kids. James, come and pick up your kids now. Yeah. So and. And that's the thing that's interesting as well. When you talk about chipping people and cats and dogs for that matter, the thing is that people are worried about someone from somewhere else in the world. Controlling your life. Controlling and tracking where you are. Mm. So, oh no, have that chip put in your hand. That might be convenient. You might be able to just pay with a swipe of your hand. And I get some interesting reactions from people when I show them my VAC certificate on my watch or I swipe with my watch and pay for mm. something. They go, oh, that's exciting. Imagine the reaction you would get when you just swipe your hand across an FPOS machine and pay mm. for things that way. Yeah, that's right. Or do that to... You'd be like a Jedi master. <laughs> I've paid <laughs> for right. these goods. You know? <laughs> I love it, I love it. <laughs> you can have so much fun. <laughs> but opening doors, anything that needs RFID or, or could be set up with RFID, so that could be any sort of lock, any sort of lights. There's lots of things out there that use RFID. So having all that set up just with a chip in your hand. But again, what's exciting about that is when Kevin Warwick did it, he was doing it as a... A test or as a yeah, it's a, an experiment a, a experiment to show people what you could do, but you can just order these now. They're pretty cheap. You pay about a hundred euros for a chip to be inserted, and obviously you can have information, whatever information you want on there, within reason. There's about two thousand characters, about two kilobytes. Hang on, I'm, I'm going to assume you're going to get a professional to insert this chip somewhere. I'd prefer that. Yeah, <laughs> probably not just probably not just go and buy one. Just and go do home. It DIY. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Hundred euros is about what you're paying gotcha. to go somewhere professional yeah, and have it right, inserted okay. in there. They're probably the size of a large grain of rice. So that's the sort right. of size we're talking about here. So you wouldn't really notice it. They mostly get inserted between your thumb and your pointer finger. So it just goes in that little bit of loose skin above your hand there. And again, you can have about 2,000 characters or about, say, 350 words of information there. So that can be wow. your credit card information, but it could also be information related to your home automation system or your work automation system. I haven't seen any cars come out with the ability to use RFIDs yet, but there's no reason they couldn't. There's no reason it couldn't mm. be set up to have information read from an RFID chip or tag, for example. So really anything that could be set up to do that, you could then have that information. Now, if the chip was out of date, because you might think, well, I'll get it next year when I'll have more information on that chip. There are people that have already had three or four inserted in their few years of, of <laughs> lifetime of doing that well they've got one and they found that's not good enough because they're so small it's relatively easy to take that out yeah, right. and just drop another one in yeah you, you probably find that where it's inserted it might be just like you've cut yourself maybe cutting some onions up and you cut your finger a bit and it heals up after a couple of weeks that'd be about the extent of it but i love the idea of having that chip and i haven't done it yet james i am disappointed but it's going to happen it's happening right now but let me just go one step further when people are worried about tracking you, satellites tracking you, mobile phone uh -huh. towers, whatever. The difference here is that we're talking about RFID. So yeah. we're talking about very low. Now, RFID can, sorry, I'll go back a step, can be used to read from a lot further away, but it needs to be powered RFID. Mm. These are non-powered RFID, so it needs to be very close. So I wouldn't be worried about walking around thinking, oh, no, the Luminati are tracking me or mm. some other 
organization, government, whatever is tracking me. You'll still have uh, the colander on your head or the aluminium foil <laughs> hat, won't you? you still well, doesn't everyone wear that? Surely. You're right. But what I would be worried about is if we're in a crowded situation and someone had an FPOS machine, they just happened to be randomly carrying along and bumping it against your hand as you yeah. walked along, then I'd be a bit worried about that because that's what you need. You need that close contact. You need it almost touching or within a couple of centimetres of it. But I'd be also worried about that if someone was walking through a crowd, bumping against the back pocket in your jeans, trying mm. to bump against some credit cards that are there. So it's the same sort of thing as that. But it, it really needs to be very close contact. You can't have satellites reading those non-powered RFID tags. You can't have mobile phone towers mm. reading those with today's technology. So I think it's okay. I don't think you're going to be tracked. I don't think – maybe it's the other way around. Maybe when people are worried about a vaccine, including a chip, now with these chips, maybe people are worried about having a vaccine included in it. So, <laughs> But these are just chips. They're just the same as what might be on your credit card, and you could use it to pay for things and open things. I think the concept's cool. And I assume you can choose where you want to have it inserted as well, maybe behind your ear or something. <laughs> yeah, it looks like yeah. a cow, for example. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You could probably go anywhere. I think it's gone in that part of your hand because it's a bit of loose skin there. It'll but be funny going through the checkout sometimes. It might be when you're putting your ear to the checkout there. It might it look a bit funny, but your forehead, I think, would be a reasonable spot as well. You can just headbutt the FPOS machine just to pay yep. for things. <laughs> That's the punk way of doing it. Now, do you love your gaming? Well, my question is, how much do you love it? Do you love it so much that you're, you've moved your console to a desk in your bedroom because it's more convenient than having it somewhere else in the house? Or do you love it so much that you have a keyboard that is especially designed just to enhance the gaming experience? Do you love it so much that your desk with a console has a special gamer's chair designed especially just for gaming? Well, what do you give a gamer who has everything? Matt, how about if I love gaming so much that I just want to do it from the comfort of my own bed? Well, it's the fine line, isn't it, James? I don't know you'd play your best game laying down in bed. So you need some way of sitting up, and this is the perfect solution. This is a bed slash chair automatically that converts between the two in conjunction with your whole gaming setup. So it's got a fridge, it's got some shelves, <laughs> it's got the desk for your screens, multiple screens. But most importantly in this particular device, it is a nice chair that you hit the remote control on the side of the chair and it turns into your bed. So when you're gaming until you are gamed no more, mm. then you hit the button, you have a little lay down, bit of a sleep, and then when you're ready to go again, hit the remote control and it moves back up into a chair. This is starting to make me get those vibes from uh, that movie Wall-E, that little <laughs> robot yeah, yeah. with the people at the end who... Don't have to get out of their recliners and stuff. And that's exactly what it's looked like to me. In fact, oh I showed goodness. my son, and it, it actually probably is convenient for someone that's got a fairly small bedroom and wants their bed and their chair and their desk and their computer all together. But I showed my son, and he was actually pretty excited by this, which worries me just <laughs> a little bit. He's meant I'm to be hearing there's a, there's a Simpsons comedy, uh, cartoon where uh, Bart's lying in there, and he's, he's had a vision of the future, and he says, he's lying in bed, and he says, I wash myself with a rag on a stick. <laughs> and that's what I'm seeing. Well, if you can't get out of bed... To play a game, then... Well, that's yeah. the only thing missing from this. I think the, the, the shower, shower, they can probably yeah. miss, but the toilet. Mm. That's the only thing that worried me when I uh, look at this. We've had bedpans for centuries. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> well, I tried to tell my son that maybe this wasn't the best idea because <laughs> the toilet, but now when he listens to this and realises he just puts a bedpan in, then he's done. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, goodness me. I must admit, though, the chair didn't look incredibly comfortable because what it does is it takes the bed and kind of 
folds it together and then pushes up the back. So you're still sitting on the bed, the mattress type right. material in a bit of a double V structure. The, the back part of the V or the W is a little bit higher than the front part. So it didn't look incredibly comfortable. But if you're a true gamer, comfort mm. is irrelevant, James. It's mm. what's on the screen and your hands that matters. Go. So comfort, who cares? But this is the thing, James, for any of those gamers out there, there you, you go. go out there and buy the gaming the, bed. The gaming bed slash desk. <laughs> it's called the Borhut, B-A-U-H-U-T-T-E, Borhut Electric Gaming Bed and Desk. They put the bed first rather than the desk first, which is interesting. Mm. And so parents out there have been trying to get their kids off the uh, gaming consoles and outside play, uh, kicking soccer balls. If you buy one of these beds, that's it. That's Give up. the end of it. Give, Give up, up now. Yeah. Now, the threat of an irregular heartbeat is a real and genuine concern for some people. When your heart slips into an arrhythmia, it might not be noticed so readily, and there's genuine risk of, of stroke from the resulting low blood pressure there. So it's pretty neat that we're now able to get heart rate monitors, courtesy of Fitbit, that can give you an alert when you slip into fibrillation. Matt, this has the capacity to save a bunch of lives. Lives. I have talked about it, James. I think the big change, the really the next wave, if you like, of technology is all about our wearables. Mm. As we get less and less fit as we get more and more obese we want information to tell us just how unfit and how obese we are get out of your bed uh you maybe uh have a listen to your heartbeat and stuff yeah, yeah. and so <laughs> fitbit's just being given fda clearance fda being the food and drug administration so i know that's in america in australia we haven't been given official clearance on this yet but the FDA is pretty good in what it does in terms of its tests and the processes it goes through. So usually when the FDA approves something, it's not that far away for other health authorities around the world. So once FDA says yes to Fitbit, I imagine we won't be that far away here in Australia and other places around the world. So this gives you an alert if you've shown signs of atrial fibrillation. So that's, as you said, that irregular heartbeat. The, the flutter of the atria at the top, it creates a low blood pressure. And, and that's sometimes a sign, as you said, maybe stroke or someone that's at mm. a high risk of stroke. So if you get that warning, obviously you don't just listen to your watch and say, well, what does my watch tell me to do with it? That's the sort of time. And that's where I think all of these wearables, that's the value they have. That's the time to go and find some professionals, some real people mm. who actually have studied this and actually can do some proper tests on you and say, let's have a look and see what you are or what, what's happening here. I can imagine that there are doctors around the world who will get people coming in saying, my watch just said this or some sort of home device that I've been using for testing says this. And in the past, they might have dismissed it, but I'm sure now they say, right, if you've got that warning, let's do some proper tests on you and see what's happening. The Apple Watch has been able to do this for a little while. It's been given FDA clearance previously. Fitbit's just catching up there. But again, there are so many different wearables out there. It's great to see these being approved by some fairly heavy administration organisations that are doing some really comprehensive testing. The Fitbit already had FDA clearance for, now, I'm intrigued by this, EKG or ECG. ECG, I, I thought, I I'm always thought sure it was it ECG, electrocardiograph. Yes. Cardio being spelt with a C. For some reason, every article I read about this particular one talked about an EKG. So mm. in America, do they spell cardio with a K? I'm not sure, but ECG, EKG, let's call it an ECG because that sounds right to me. But Fitbit have been given clearance previously for ECG and Apple Watch has been as well. But to do that, you've actually got to manually do something. You've got to go into that app and you've got to put your finger on a certain spot and wait for a minute or so. So some people don't do that. The great mm. thing about this is it's passive heart rhythm monitoring. So just while you're sitting there minding your own business, 
watching TV, playing on your gaming desk and your gaming bed, whatever it might be, <laughs> it sits there in the background and does some alert. tests. Yeah, and then if it does find something, it then alerts you. So that's what I think is the best thing about this. It's just passive in the background mm. and then gives you an alert if something's wrong. Well, if it's got any level of accuracy, I just can't see what could go wrong with it. I think it's a fantastic idea. Well, even if it tells you there's a problem and it's detected some issue and you go and have yourself tested and find that, no, there wasn't an issue after all, that's okay. Mm. Again, as long as, and we say this with all these things, as long as you don't rely on this for your exclusive health advice, mm. I'd still recommend people to have checkups if they've got other problems, Absolutely. go and see professionals, don't use Dr. Google for everything, but at least it might push people down the path. And I think that's the value of these wearables, This all this health revolution that we're having in our technology. Now, Matt, did you hear the one about the cop who pulled over a driverless car? <laughs> no, I didn't. Of course you did. Of course you did. You researched the next story. Matt, tell us about the fun and games on the streets of San Francisco. What do you do if you're a cop and you pull over a car, read it a... Read the right act to someone and then there's no one there. (laughs) (laughs) And in this particular one, Cruise is a company in America that's been testing for a couple of years its driverless vehicles and now they're at the point where they're doing the robo-taxi. And there's certain conditions around that. can only go between 10pm and 6am, for example. Only have certain passengers in there. Only have a certain area. So a whole range of rules. But a policeman noticed a vehicle driving without headlights on. So... It pulls it over, and the the car pulled over, so it recognised well, the police. I've never heard lights. about cops pulling uh, uh, drivers over for for not having their, their headlights on ever before. But um, obviously, it, it's happened. Well, in the middle of the night, I assume that if a policeman saw a car with no headlights on, they might think either they're forgetful, or maybe they're drunk, or maybe they're just not being very good with the rules. But it might be just a courtesy thing. Hey, Mister Eddie, you don't seem to have headlights on. Just mm. flick them on because it's a bit dangerous. Maybe they don't want to book you for it. But in this case, they pulled the car over for no headlights and went to tell the driver to turn the headlights on. And of course, there's no driver. But there was someone sitting in the back seat who <laughs> pulled their phone out, of course, and recorded the whole interaction, as you yeah. do. So the the poor old policeman went, "What do we do now? <laughs> no one, to, <laughs> no one to talk to. How do I even turn the lights on?" There is a process that the police have been told about with these cars in their jurisdiction. So he went back to his vehicle to actually have a look at the process, what number did he ring, how did he contact someone, and the car started driving off. So then you can just imagine the scene, there's going to be a car chase (laughs) (laughs) around the streets with no one in the front car and the police saying pull over. music playing in the background. Absolutely. (laughs) Compulsory. But all the driverless car was doing was moving ahead a couple hundred metres to a safer spot to pull over because it determined that it wasn't a safe spot where it was. Anyway, the policeman... I've got a question here. The car knew to pull over when he heard the police... Exactly right. I would say he, when it heard... (laughs) Yeah, he or she... When it heard the the sirens. Yeah, that's right. So they are programmed. I was interested in that as well. They are programmed that when someone, a police car, for example, flashing lights, pull over, obviously they were coming up behind them. They're obviously programmed Mm. in just the same way as a human would be to recognise that car is asking me to pull over, flashing lights in my rear view mirror, whatever it might be. So it was clever enough to work that out. Maybe that's one of the first things they programmed because (laughs) they probably want them to be law abiding. some trouble eventually. Somewhere there. But it pulled it over. Anyway, the policeman finally worked out how to contact cruise personnel, got the headlights turned on. And I suppose from cruise's perspective, this is part of the whole learning. They had some process in there where they obviously turn the lights on. They've got this car programmed to turn the lights on. Given the fact that the trial is only between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., they may change their processes or procedures to just say, 
turn the lights on before you go anywhere because mm. we're always driving at night time so we may mm. as well just have those lights on in fact why not have them on all the time because it's probably safe to have them on the day as well well yeah other people need to see that there's a car coming as well it's not just the car trying to see where it's going it's about yeah. being seen yeah and for this car it doesn't need lights on because this one is using right. lidar yeah so some vehicles tesla for example they're self-driving they use cameras so they would need some form of lights to see the white lines on the side of the road and see other things but some of the driverless options are using lidar so they're not relying on the sight that a human might have to be able to see devices out there, see in inverted commas. Mm. So it's an interesting example, but we will see more of this, James. We'll see more driverless vehicles. We'll see more learnings occurring around things like no headlights on or whatever it might be. And I just hope, obviously, that we get it right enough times that we're not losing people's lives unnecessarily or even just having accidents unnecessarily and enough testing is done so that these are safer because the theory is that these can be safer than you and I driving on the roads, losing Mm. attention, getting distracted, getting tired, whatever it might be, these should be safer when they get it right. Well, I'll tell you that in the last couple of weeks, driving at night around here in town, (laughs) I've noticed a bunch of cars without their lights on. Oh, there you go. I reckon uh, probably not autonomous cars. No, no, probably not. (laughs) Now, the heart of a con man is a fairly black and soulless space, and none are so cold and merciless as the hearts of puppy fraudsters. I guess all scammers prey on the vulnerable, but there has to be a special place in hell for those who would take advantage of people who are just looking for a new four-legged friend to build into their family. There's There's a lot of therapy in dog ownership. But here is some good news. Apparently someone at Google agrees with me and flew into action recently to bring some puppy scamming scum suckers to justice recently. Matt, what's the story here? Puppy sucking, what was that term? Pucky? Uh, I believe it was puppy scamming scum suckers. I like it. Puppy scamming scum suckers. I like it, James. I like it. It's in the dictionary. (laughs) Obviously. What I like about this is Google's a big company. Sometimes big companies use their muscle, their might, their legal team, to sue people that you think, oh, maybe they're being picked on a little bit. But in this scenario, this is Google suing some fraudsters, which Mm. is fantastic. Now, Google's suing them because Google said, well, they've got all these Google devices that are being used to perpetrate this scam. So they're using Google Gmail accounts, they're using Google voice phone numbers, they're using Google search tools to direct people to these websites. So a whole bunch of Google facilities are being used to actually target these people that are being defrauded like of their very money. Very own smokescreen there, yeah. Exactly right. So Google don't like the fact that they're being used. They're not perpetrating the scam, but their tools are being used. So they mm. said, you know what, maybe we can go and sue these scams. So they're doing that. These puppy fraud people are targeting lonely, elderly people. And mm. let's face it, puppy dog eyes who can refuse puppy dog eyes so when they're seeing these beautiful photos on these fake websites of these puppy dogs they're paying money to have this puppy delivered and of course no surprises here the puppy never comes and people are paying a lot of money their people are paying from $700 to $1,500 for these puppies that are never and, going and to be delivered uh, one person can get hit multiple times with that same transaction is that right that's exactly right you can have multiple people you have people being hit multiple times But if someone was out there looking for a puppy, they might 
figure that either that was a scam, damn it, I'll go and find another site, which might be another scam site, mm. or they might be targeted several times, or they might just have their cards hit a few times when they're doing those transactions. So a whole range of ways they could be hit. So even though $700, $1,500 doesn't sound like the end of the world, it's not going to send, or some people might, but it's not going yeah, to send uh, someone broke in particular. But when you start hitting it over and over, that's exactly right. So we did see, and we've talked about it, online scams skyrocketed during the pandemic. People spending more time on social media, more time in front of a computer, and people might have been lonely, especially people that might have been elderly, might have been living by themselves. So mm. having a puppy come and visit. a lot of therapy in puppies. Oh, yeah. absolutely right. Their grandkids couldn't come and visit their kids. They, they couldn't go out and be active socially. So some people like pups, which was fantastic, except when they weren't really going to get a puppy in the long run. So hopefully Google is successful. Where these people are located, what jurisdiction they're in is all part of it. But again, I've got some confidence that Google have got a reasonable legal team. They might be able to follow this to the nth degree and see if we can just knock out at least one group of scammers. Yeah, make an example of them. Perhaps the message might get out. Oh. Yeah, well, probably not, but at least take some off, off the market might be one step along the way. Yeah. Well, here's some crazy news on the solar power front. Apparently gathering solar power in space and sending it back to Earth is now a thing. Matt, this has got so many pluses, but it's going to need a hell of an extension cord. <laughs> It is, isn't it? <laughs> I'm fascinated by this. Obviously, we've got an atmosphere. Fantastic, happy days. That helps us all live on Earth. Yeah, it protects us from nasty stuff, gamma That's rays right. and x-rays and whatnot. All sorts of things. So the problem is, of course, that that absorbs, that atmosphere absorbs some of the sunlight that we get. So when we oh, yeah. collect solar radiation here on Earth on at ground level, then we're not getting as much as if we're up in space. And we see various spacecraft that go off into space that have got solar panels on them to power them while they're in space. So why not take some of that solar power, which is 11 times more powerful up in space than it is here on Earth, take some of that solar power and then beam it back directly to Earth. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, it does. Sounds fanciful. And I must admit, I looked for the date to make sure it wasn't an April 1st story <laughs> on this one. But again, found some research from a number of different sites there. But this is something that's not there at the moment, but this is being researched as a way of giving us power. The other cool part about this is that potentially I can see that you could have something up in space that could have sunlight more times during the day. In other words, you're not relying on sun during the day to produce solar power. At night, you're not getting it mm -hmm. because you could have, and I imagine they're doing geostationary with this, you can have a satellite sitting up there, geostationary satellite, about 36,000 kilometres above the Earth, which can see the sun on a more regular basis than something sitting there on, on Earth the level. Of the Earth, yeah. yeah, that's right. So it would still have times that might be in the darkness and the shadow of Earth, but you could see it a lot more times during the day. And the reason I think it's geostationary, but I couldn't find that bit of data in the research I did, is because if you're focusing that beam down to Earth, then while you've got satellites spinning past Earth, trying to get them to focus down on a certain spot, I can imagine that's difficult. Yeah, because they're doing a lap of the Earth every hour and a half. Yeah, depending yeah, on what height they're at. Trying to track that, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if I'd want to be in a plane that accidentally goes past one of these beams that is being <laughs> shot down yeah, from above. Yeah, it'd have to be a fairly focused sort of array, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. That's exactly right. So I imagine they're talking about geostationary. I imagine they've got some way of saying, 
okay, planes, don't fly through this a little bit here. This might be a bit intense. Mm-hmm. But having said that, maybe it's not as intense as I think. Maybe it's no much, not much more intense than, say, the sun, for example. But they're just focusing that beam of power coming down. Well, I had all those fears about the Van Allen belt as well. But we know, and conspiracy theorists, you can just take a back seat right now. The Van Allen belt, and we were worried about the radiation from that. And um, we've been able to survive that several times over. Yeah, sure. Thank goodness for that. But it is. It's all about this power beaming. So it does sound fascinating. I think we're probably five years away at best from actually seeing this in reality. But I do love the fact that people are out there thinking of different ideas. A couple of scientists one day having a coffee and they went, you know what? There's more solar radiation up above the atmosphere. Why don't we use that? Oh, you're crazy. Let's have a look at that. And on the conversation goes, the research starts, and next thing you know, people are coming up with these ideas that could be workable. Tesla came up with the idea of transmitting power wirelessly Mm. um, over 100 years ago. Nikola Tesla now, not not Tesla. Sorry, Nikola (laughs) Tesla, yeah. Yeah. Um, But Westinghouse wasn't real keen on that because there was no way we were going to be able to charge people for their power. (laughs) For this wireless power. um, Well, Tesla got a bit, Nikola Tesla got a bit obsessed with that, and I think he got to the point where he gave up because he couldn't get it. But, off topic here slightly, but we have seen some examples where people have been doing small amounts of power, not Mm. powering your whole house, but small amounts of power in a room. So you can walk into a room and sit your phone somewhere in that room and it gets powered up from the radiation that's in that room. So some of those ideas from Tesla Mm. were theoretically possible, but the technology at the time didn't Didn't allow it to happen. Whereas now we've got to that point, again, not where Tesla was going in terms of powering whole homes, but certainly powering things in a room, absolutely right. And uh, a focused beam from a satellite out in space is going to have the same sort of width, if it was like a laser, um, have the same sort of width um, from its origin out on that satellite, the geostationary satellite, as it will on Earth. So um, you just need to have your catcher there in the right spot. That's right, a catcher there and no one sticking their eyes in the middle of it to look up (laughs) at that particular ray coming out. But it does sound fascinating, but you could also collect it in areas where you don't have flight paths, you don't have people living, obviously. So Mm. I think you could do it. But let's look at this in five years' time and see how we go. But I I just think the concept is fantastic. That's a cool idea. It is. Okay, folks, are you in the market for an electric bike? If you are, then the news just gets better and better for you because the prices are on the slide. And you can now get one for just under 800 bucks. Matt, e-bikes are becoming a real go-to for average commuters now, particularly in metropolitan areas, but also increasingly in regional areas as well. Getting an e-bike makes a lot of sense and is very affordable now. And this one has got an extra feature. It's a folding e-bike. So if you <laughs> ride into your we workplace and that's right, and you get there and they say, well, who's taking up all this corridor space with this bike and who's the crazy idiot that should be driving the car and burning some fuel while they're driving the car? Well, you just fold it up and stick it under your desk or put it in a cupboard somewhere. I folding itself, self-folding when oh, you press a button. Sorry, it's not quite that one yet. Well, that's the, okay. I want not to good enough? Innovators have got to get on. Yeah, right. Well, at the moment, you've got to fold it yourself, but it does fold down to be very small. You could literally fit it under your desk. If you're in a workspace, you could fit it under your desk. So you fold it up, you put it under the desk. End of the day, you just unfold it and off you go. The battery power in it is not too bad. It's got the ability to run for about 24 kilometres if you just use the throttle. Now, I don't quite understand this. If you just Just use use the throttle, throttle. that sounds like a motorbike to me. (laughs) (laughs) I know we've got some rules about the fact that it can only give you some boosted power while you're pedalling, so maybe that's pedalling very slowly. But if you just had it on the lowest pedal assist mode, it'll give you about 64 kilometres of range. So for most people commuting in a big city, 64 kilometres to work and back – 
that's certainly going to give you yeah. the range of most people what they'd need. And that's where I like the e-bike concept. It's that pedal assist. So you're riding on a flat road. You're all dressed up, ready for work in your suit. You might have your, your proper shoes and your coat in your backpack on, on the way to work. But you might just get a bit sweaty up a couple of those hills in the work. Whereas you've got that pedal assist mode. Pedal assist, yeah. That's where it's really cool where you're getting up those hills. And it's also cool from traffic lights. When I've ridden e-bikes, you sit there at traffic lights and you're worrying about all these cars swamping you as you take off. When you've got that maximum assist mode, you take off, it's actually quite fast to accelerate initially. So I can see lots of people using these sort of things for commuting into work. It's got to make it quicker to get into work. And also, obviously, it's got to make it a much more economical ride to work. Uh, I, I think you do it quicker. I think you do it easier and then you get to work folded up and leave it there for the day and away you go at the end of the day. I'm just picturing a bloke who lives in Penrith <laughs> and works in the CBD <laughs> and he's on the freeway there dressed in his business suit yep. and he's uh, powering along there in the freeway. Tell away. I'm not sure if that's allowed, folks. Just don't go and do that. No, maybe not so much people in Penrith. I'm more talking about people in, I don't know, Surrey Hills or the inner west yeah, somewhere yeah, getting yeah, into yeah. the CBD gotcha. when traffic is just crazy or yeah. around the world in different places, Beijing or New York or LA or whatever. And it's I, taken a while, but here in Australia, pedalling to work isn't such a, a, a strange thing anymore. No, it's not. I mean, I've been to places like Copenhagen. I've rented a bike in Copenhagen and just the cycle lanes there. I loved it. And this is years ago. I loved it when I saw dedicated traffic lights for the cycle lane. Yeah. And I went, yeah, that's cool. This is <laughs> this is really cool when they're giving them priority for that cycle lane and cars are stopped there. You can just ride along through your little cycle lane with the traffic lights that you obey. There's just so many people on bikes there that just made it easy. And, and the message to the drivers is that this could be you too. Exactly right. And Copenhagen gets cold, so you think maybe it's not the best place to have bikes, but people just seem to ride bikes. They just dress appropriately. So, yeah, we could do it in Australia. People say it's too hot here to do it sometimes, but if people can do it in Copenhagen in the winter, I reckon we could do it here in the summer. Get enough pace up, you've got the wind in your hair, you're fine, That's surely. Right. <laughs> now, the good people at Nissan have been in the EV game for a long time now, and they're shaking things up with a little new uh, solid-state battery. Matt, this sounds like big news, but I'm going to confess, I need you to spell it out for me if we've got time. Well, basically, it's better than lithium-ion. How's that? Is that good enough? Is That's that good enough for me. <laughs> All right. It's a little way before we get to the stage of solid-state batteries, but solid-state batteries are quicker to charge, they can hold more charge per kilogram, and theoretically, not there yet, they should be cheaper to produce than lithium-ion batteries. So all the things you want in an EV – Better battery range, faster charging, and cheaper. It sounds like the trifecta there. Again, we're talking about 2028 for this. Now, these are going to be into some sort of small production by 2024, but before they get to the stage where they're producing them and we're driving around Nissan cars with a solid-state battery, we're talking about another four years after their production phase starts. So Mm. it's not quick there. What's good about this is when any company comes out and says we're going to do A, B, and C, whatever it might be, other manufacturers go, oh, we better start going down that path yeah, as well. Yeah, over the fence there. Exactly right. So I think we'll get to that stage fairly quickly where other manufacturers are doing it. Tesla still, every way I look at a Tesla, and I'm talking about the car now, not Nikola Tesla, every way I look at Tesla vehicles, they seem to be ahead in range and performance. But again, we've seen it so many times through companies throughout history. Kodak's the first one that always springs to mind. You have someone who's a leader, an innovator, and they pause they just blink for a second and suddenly they're not the leader anymore mm. Tesla's so far in front of everyone else at the moment but i'm sure they're trying to develop solid state batteries and i'm sure when nissan makes an announcement like this they say oh 
we've got to make sure that we're there, we're still leading the way by 2028, by 2030, by whatever time frame they want, so that they can keep developing technologies and being at the forefront over and over. But I want to see competition. I want to see more vehicles out there and trying to knock Tesla off that perch. That's just fantastic. Um, on Tesla, briefly, they've just opened up their roads to reservations. So if you've got a spare 50 grand, that'll give you a reservation on one of the roadsters. Now, the roadsters have been talked about for about five years. The roadster is just a beautiful little sports car. Their normal sedans are faster than normal sports cars in Tesla. Mm. But the Roadster is a sports car-oriented vehicle, two-seater, designed to be incredible performance. We're talking about sub-two-second, maybe even 1.6-second, <laughs> zero to 100. Huge range. We're talking about 800-kilometer range and huge price. In fact, I don't even know if the, we know what the price is, but probably 400K or thereabouts. But for 50 grand, James, you 50 get your grand. Get name on the list at least. You can be on the list. That's it, 50 grand just to have a deposit with no time frame to know when you can get it <laughs> and no final price. So you've got to be a true believer to plonk yeah, your 50 wow. grand down and say, you know what, I'm part of that. But again, it's all about where we're going in the EV space. And I, I ran into a gentleman today, actually. I was out at a, a function, I ran into a guy there and he saw one of my EVs and he asked me about the EV and he was driving a diesel. Oh, I can never see myself driving one of those. And I said, well, sir, remember this conversation. When you buy your first EV, here's my phone number. Give me a call and say, you know what? I was a bit too premature. No, I'll never. I'll never have one of those. Never. I'll always be driving a diesel. And they're big words. And I guarantee yeah. that gentleman, he probably won't ring me, but that gentleman one day will be driving an EV. <laughs> we'll wait and see for that one. Uh, and maybe I reckon not, that is a big call. Maybe not a Tesla Roadster, maybe not something that needs a 50 grand deposit, but I guarantee he'll be driving an EV. And so now with my own batteries fully charged, I'm rip-roaring and ready to go. I think I'll go and get myself microchipped, maybe one in the small of my back maybe, so that when I go to buy anything I have to twerk at the FBOS machine. <laughs> um, that ought to raise an eyebrow or two. Now, thanks for another cracking talk, Matthew. Uh, my pleasure. Great to see Google taking a social stand as well. Yeah, absolutely. And without any further ado, this is me, James Eddy, signing off on another episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. I hope you've enjoyed yourself enough to join us again next week. In the meantime, please go and find a like button somewhere and click it. Leave a positive comment or even better, subscribe, 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 subscribe. 